0: Hi, Alex here. Welcome to my podcast, The Stanza of Life. Let me just start off by saying how excited I am to share my story along with others. We will be sharing and hearing from people in the foster system, along with foster parents, parents of kids who have been taken. We will be hearing from older Generations that will take in the new reenter too. I'm super excited to share this podcast with people to let them know and help them understand pretty much what's going on inside the system behind closed doors. I will be sharing my story along with a few other people's stories, and I'm super grateful for those of you who listen and want to learn more. So, yeah, let's get into it. We're going to start with my story. So, I have been taken from my mom twice. Both times, after a while, I started to realize they were needed. The first time I was taken... it was definitely hard because i was first placed with my grandmother and being placed with her it was going smoothly for a while but me and my grandmother don't necessarily get along 24 7 like most kids and their parents they don't always get along with them but they love them that's how i feel about her i don't always get along with her but i love her and my mom and I had a restraining order, and we broke that for my ninth birthday, and we were taken shortly after. Well, I was, my mom was pregnant with my little brother, and so it was hard. I wanted to be home with her, and throughout that time I was in foster care, and I was there for about... Eight and a half months, maybe, and it was definitely challenging, not easy. I had been in 14 different foster homes, and I had been with a variety of different people. At one point, I ended up going to a Catholic school. I'm very far from Catholic, um, and so. It was definitely hard. I also had a lot of problems too. I was a, I guess you could say a bad kid. I had a lot of behavioral issues the first time I was in the system. And it was hard because I didn't realize the way I was acting was hurting others. And so I had bounced around because I've either had panic attacks or lashed out on people that caused stuff like that. There was a few times where I had gotten in my foster parents' faces and was yelling at them. So it wasn't the easiest go around. I had visits to my mom and I loved those but I hated beating them. I remember every time i get home I would lash out more on everybody because I just wanted to go home. I remember hearing the news from my caseworker, which my foster mom told me I couldn't be excited about it because we were getting three new foster kids who had just been taken from their mom the same day I found out I was going home in a week. And we had another foster boy there, who was 16, bullied me so much and we came downstairs just when my foster mom was telling me I couldn't really show or tell anybody about this because it would hurt everyone's feelings in the household and all this stuff and I got really upset at that because I was super mad And that's not even half the challenges I had in that home. That home, I was there the remainder of my time in foster care, which was about four months. I was in that household, and I swear she needed me. Like, I don't know, she took care of me, I got to school on time, I always had clean clothes. I got Christmas presents from her, and, you know, it was, it was fun, it was really fun, except, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It was almost, like, kind of an unspoken hatred. She would always, I don't know, when every, some, Whenever something went wrong, it was always my fault. Whenever something came up missing or something was broken, everyone would blame me. And I didn't even have to be home when that happened. I could be at school and one of the littler boys would break something. And I'd come home and I'd get yelled at for it because everyone would blame me. Was, oh yeah, well she broke it before she left for school. When in all reality, that's not what happened. So I got in trouble quite often. I lashed out quite often. And for the longest time, I was the only girl in that house other than my foster mom. With my foster mom's three boys. One was 14, one was 3, and one was 5. And then the other foster boy, who was 16... And then there was my foster mom and me, a nine-year-old girl, and I would get bullied a lot by the older boys. All the time. They were always so me and they'd pick on me. And every time I tell my foster mom. She would just, oh, that's how boys show their love. Like, it's okay. When in all reality, like, they just did not like me. They thought... Well, if I show her, I don't like her this way, maybe she'll leave with her. Which, in reality, I did. I left them alone after a while. I stopped coming out of my room and talking to people, and that's when I got thrown into therapy the first time. And with being thrown a bit of into therapy that time, I liked my very first therapist, but my worker switched me for God knows what reason. She never told me why but she switched me to my second therapist, which I didn't like her either, and she was super old, and she just didn't necessarily understand how I was feeling. So, my third therapist, her name was Courtney, and I hated her. I always called her Courtney Dester and she just would always jump to conclusions and tell me how I was feeling instead of, like, asking well maybe you're feeling this, maybe there might be a little bit of irritation towards this person, like no, 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 she would roll it from. Well, to me, I think you were irritated. So we're just gonna label it you were irritated. Even though in all reality I wasn't. I was more sad and felt like crying and not mad. But... Over time, I grew a deeper and deeper hatred towards her, the more I kept going to her. And there was this one time, I remember it because it almost ruined everything for me. It was two days before I got returned home. I was completely fed up with my therapist and my foster mom. Because that morning, on our way to therapy, we were waiting for my foster mom to finish up some work she had in the basement. And then she was going to come up and drive me to my therapy. And I'm sitting there and the younger boys keep shooting me with no guns. And I remember I wrote on my hand, kill me, please in a marker it was a washable marker not like a sharpie or anything and I went to the and I whispered the same thing under my breath as I was writing it and the 16 year old boy went downstairs and told our foster mom that I whispered under my breath that I wanted to kill her youngest son and he said that I wrote the same thing on my hands, and then he could have swore he saw cuts on my arms, I was nine. I didn't even know what suicide was at this point. So, I'm kind of sitting there, and all of a sudden, I hear my foster mom yelling for me in the basement. So, I go down there, and I pass the 16-year-old on my way up, down the stairs, and he's on his way up. And he smirks at me, and he just walks away, and I look at him with confusion as I keep walking and get down there. Immediately she goes, so you want to tell me what you said? And I said, said what? I didn't say anything. I haven't said anything all morning. And she goes, okay, well, let me see your hand. And I said, why? Because at that time, I didn't necessarily like, I still don't. I'm not big on people, like, touching me or giving me hugs or holding my hand. I absolutely need it. So, when she told me to hand her my hand, I said why, so I gave her my right hand, which I had written on my left hand, and I said, here, and she grabbed my hand, and I immediately pulled back, and I said, don't touch me, please, and she goes, well, I need to double-check your wrist real quick, and I was like, why? Super confused, and then she started yelling at me after a while, because I wouldn't let her, I wouldn't give her my hand. And I get, a lot of you probably are thinking, well, why? Like, I was a nine-year-old, and I was scared by literally everything. Everything scared me. So her tone of voice kind of made us feel like I was in trouble for something. And I had no idea what she wanted with my hands. I didn't want to give her my hands, because I didn't necessarily like her touching me. I was scared. And so we just. Def- You stood there for about 15 minutes. Uh, At this point, we were supposed to be leading in five for therapy to be on time. And uh, she ended up grabbing my um, upper arms. And I threw myself to the floor and backed all the way to a wall. And kind of huddled there for a bit as she stood over me yelling. And I remember her calling my face worker. And... She yelled at my, cuss, she cussed out my caseworker because I wouldn't, like, she told the caseworker what I supposedly said. And the minute I heard it, I looked at her, and said, I never said that. And she goes, well, that's not what I was told. And we did a whole back and forth for a while. And then eventually I showed her both of my arms and I showed, like, I didn't give them to her, but I showed them to her. And i showed her what i wrote on my hand and my wrist there was nothing wrong with them like there was a cut on my leg but that was because i had scraped my knee falling off the trampoline and she knew that was there and that was the only cut i had and all of my other are like my arms and stuff was perfectly fine and you would think that that would be enough evidence to be like okay well i guess you didn't actually say it because he said you said it as you were writing it on your arm she said that i washed it off right before i walked down the stairs and so when we got to my therapy we were late to therapy when we got there she came in my therapy my therapist's room with me and she sat there and she told my therapist what happened my therapist asked me is that really what happened and i said no i never said that if anything, I said kill me, and then, my sui- like, and then my therapist started labeling me as suicidal, which, yet again, at nine years old, I can speak on the fact that I did not know what suicide was. I knew that there were people who had killed themselves, and I knew that there were people who wanted to harm themselves, but I didn't know that, that all falls under the category of suicidal. I didn't know someone my age could have been suicidal. I mean, at the time, I wasn't. I was happy to be going home, getting out of the hellhole of that house, and so happy. So then my therapist and my foster mom ended up coming up with this idea of taking all of my stuff from me. All I had was my clothes, one stuffed animal, one of my soft throw blankets, a comforter, and a pillow. I didn't have any of my jewelry. I didn't have... I had my school supplies, so I had my backpack, but I had none of my other stuffed animals, and I had a lot of them. I wasn't allowed to have anything, string, glass, I wasn't allowed to use glass objects, I wasn't allowed to have any of my journals either, my coloring books, none of it. I was just completely isolated. I also wasn't allowed to leave my room. and It was like that for the last remainder of the few days I was with that house, but then I got, then my return date got pushed back a few more days. And my foster mom said she couldn't deal with me so she sent me into respite for the remainder of those few days and she packed up my stuff. Which I was actually glad that I got sent into respite those last few days because I loved the people I was in respite with, they had kids my age that were girls, we played, and they never had issues with me. They, I remember them telling my caseworker that I was an angel, that they never had problems with going to bed, waking up, eating, I never lashed out on them, I got along with the girls really well, like I remember them telling my caseworker this, and the face my caseworker made was like, I don't know what in the hell, you guys are talking about, but that's not the little girl I've placed with people. And, you know, it was just all based on who I was placed with. I got returned home and taken a few months after I got returned home. I got returned home three and a half months to two and a half months before my 10th birthday. I celebrated my 10th birthday with my mom, I didn't actually do anything, my mom got me a cake, I blew up the candles with her, it was her, me, my stepdad, and I think my auntie, and my grandma, maybe not even my grandma, but that was pretty much it, I didn't want to celebrate that birthday. Um And then I kind of, like, did my own thing for the next few months, and then I got taken again in March of the next year, so I got taken in 2022, I believe, yeah, it was 2022, me and my younger brother this time got taken my younger brother had just turned one and so we were taken from the court so here's where everything really starts to get real so the day we were taken my mom picked me up from school early we drove three and a half hours from aurora colorado to pueblo colorado for our court case and that distance is about three and a half hours at max not even probably minimum if anything and so we got there pretty quickly um originally we me and my younger brother didn't have to go but then my mom got an email saying that me, that she wanted to have, that the judge wanted to have me and my younger brother there. And it was that same morning that my mom was getting ready to go, and she was already running late until she saw that, and then she had to come pull me out of school, which made her a little more late. But in the end, it turned out fine for us being late because our caseworker wasn't actually, like, told she had to be at court. Because, so our caseworker was actually in the process of retiring. And so she had her replacement, who was going to take over the case, once she retired at this court, at this court date. But then the judge was like, no, we actually need you here. So then she was running a bit behind. And so by the time we got there, our caseworker had also just gotten there. So court hadn't started yet. And me and my mom are sitting there, me and her having a good time. She's bouncing my brother, and my brother is, you know, having a good time. He's doing good. Me and her are, I wouldn't necessarily say whispering. She was teaching me sign language. And we're sitting there, not necessarily really listening. Um, we were just talking, and then all of a sudden, the judge asks me, if he could talk to me privately. And I was like, yeah, okay. Well, he talks to me, and he, the questions he asked me were, is your home safe? I was like, yeah, I mean, we've never had issues. And he was like, no, 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 I mean like, are you safe with your mom? Does your mom hurt you guys? Does she feed you? And I was like, no, she feeds us. I mean, if any of, anything. chubby. Like, of course she feeds me. I'm a fat kid. love food. And my brother was a chubby monkey himself. So, like, we definitely looked like we were being fed. I had taken a shower about right before I left for school that morning too, so I was freshly clean. My brother took a bath before he left. We were clean. And He still took into, he didn't take any of that into consideration. He took what I said as I was trying to protect my mom, even though I was just saying the honest truth. Like, yes, I do have a habit of protecting my mom and any of my family can vouch for that. I will sit there and I will look you dead in the eyes and know you're telling the truth about my mother and still tell you you're wrong. That's just my personality, but when it comes down to something important as something like this, I will be telling the truth. And that's what a lot of my family doesn't understand. Because, for the longest time of being in foster care, both times, my family blamed me. All of them. Said it was my fault that I was taken. And, you know, it was hard it still kind of is because my my mom is finally realizing kind of that yes, it was probably good for us to be taken because she kind of was able to do her own thing for a while without having to worry about kids that her ass 24-7. And so like, she's starting to realize that yes, even though we were taken wrongfully, It was still helpful and it was not my fault. Because for the longest time, my mom, my grandma, my aunts, my uncles, all blamed me for being taken. It was my fault we were taken, when in all reality, it was not my fault. And I'm just now starting to realize that with. Kind of the community I've built myself in foster care. Like, I'm excited to go back home to any of my family here soon. I'm super happy about that. But I'm also nervous because I don't know how my family is going to react to me being different. I don't know how my family is going to react to. Who I talk to, who I surround myself with, kind of my chosen family, because a lot of my chosen family now is foster parents and their family who I've actually built a family with, and so it's kind of nerve-wracking, but at the same time, it's just it's super exciting because I haven't seen my cousins, my Of my aunt in almost four years, so I'm excited, um, but also, like, looking at a lot of our case, it's been nothing but kind of like lies, almost. Our case was built off of lies from our first caseworker in Pueblo County. And then, our second caseworker in Arapaho built off of those lies. So, a lot of the things in kind of the system that suck the most is you don't really have much people to talk to about stuff like this. Especially as a kid, you don't want to go around telling friends and stuff, you're a foster kid, because, yeah, it's not something kids should be made fun of for, but kids do kind of get made fun of for it, and I don't know, some people have heard this joke, I know it's been a joke that's been around for a really long time, but if you don't look like your parents, you'll get called adopted, even if you're not adopted, or you are, and you don't want to say anything, like, kids make those jokes so imagine living with family or people that look nothing like you like even down to the skin color nothing like you and i used to live with this um black family and I loved them. Oh, they were amazing. Um, my very first time in foster care. They were amazing. They actually ended up having to... Well, I ended up having to move out of their house because they, have, they were getting sued for something by another foster girl because she didn't like them and she had turned 18 and there was a whole big situation with that. But I loved them. They were an amazing family, and I hope they're doing okay. I haven't talked to them or seen them in years. But I remember being at the store with them one day, and this girl made a huge deal out of it because I was a little white girl with two black nails. So our family, the family I was with were, um, they were gay, and they were both black, and I loved them. They were amazing, but people would always target them because I was a little white girl with them. Which also just kind of says how fucked up our world is in general, at the fact that people do that. Like, we had cops call on us a couple different times. Because I thought I was kidnapped or something. But like... In reality, it was just some racist piece of shit who... Just didn't like black people. And I'm a little white girl and there's a lot I don't know about racism. I don't know the extent of it. That are on a lot of different people. Because I don't have to deal with that because As most people say, white people have a lot of different privileges. But at the same time, when you grow up where I grew up, everyone deals with racism. I deal with racism because I'm a white girl who was raised by black and Latinas. So I definitely have a lot of, when I'm talking, a lot of that like heavy, as most people put it, black girl accent it's uh, something that's really interesting to me that people put it that way and they do but it's just it's so odd to me but people definitely criticize me because of the way I talk and the way I dress do I hate the phrase hood I really do. I hate that phrase because it's been taken out of context so many times, but where I'm from, kind of, the hood means family, it means the family I was raised around. Like if you see someone walking, you're like, oh I know them, they're from my hood. Like, that's the term we use it, a lot of people don't use it that way anymore, but I kind of grew up in a ghetto area, where kind of safety precautions were a thing, but an extra thing, and like, I grew up around a lot of gun violence in the neighborhood, and a lot of sex trafficking around us, and just like a whole bunch of problems that our city never dealt with properly. We also had a lot of racist cops. Like every street corner, some black person was at gunpoint because of a white cop being racist as hell. So, I grew up with a lot of violence and kind of a lot of... you don't even know what's going on. Like, all we know is that there are cops outside the store, so we're not going in that store. So, growing up in that area and then having A lot of people kind of tell you because right now I guess you could say I'm in the richer part of Colorado. I definitely would say it is the richer part of Colorado. I would say that Colorado Springs is nicer though but a lot of kids around here, especially people my age, will just, like, they dress to impress, but they, they're, like, they're one of these. Like, they're one of these people who were raised around stuff like that. Which, I don't go around telling people, like, oh, this is where I came from, this is where I was raised, like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I don't say anything about it because, like, I don't want people to know or to think I'm trying to be proud of that, to be proud of where I came from. It's like, yes, I am proud of my town and where I was raised and where I was born. I am definitely someone who was proud to be put in situations like that because that made me kind of quicker thinking under pressure. So, a lot of kids when they see like there was a school shooter or something at other schools in other states, they all kind of freak out like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? But like, to me, that's just a day-to-day basis for Colorado, like for Pueblo, Colorado. It's like, they don't get a lot of, I I don't even want to say they don't get a lot of school shooters, because I don't know, I haven't looked in a while, but school shooters aren't necessarily a thing you hear 24-7 in Pueblo, but you definitely hear a lot of gang violence and kids that get caught in the middle kids who follow in their parents' footsteps, or kids who are trying to make a little extra cash for their family, get caught in the middle of rivalries, and end up losing their lives for it, and they were just trying to do an innocent thing of, well, I just need the money for my family. I'm just trying to help out my mom. Like, there's so much Stuff like that, that a lot of the kids up here don't actually understand. They're just doing it because they think it's cool. And that's another thing that's really difficult about being in the system is like, you don't know when you're gonna lose somebody that you haven't talked to in years. Like, I lost. Quite a few family members and friends that I haven't talked to because of the system. Because for about three years, I didn't have a phone. Because my caseworker said that it would be dangerous to have a phone with my mom. Which in reality, my mom's not a dangerous person. Like, I could throw her over my shoulder and walk away. Unless she goes all crazy on me. Then it's going to hurt, but I can still do it. But she would always, like, my caseworker would always tell me that it was just for the safety of me and my younger brother. My caseworker always acts like my that I don't think before I'm doing something. Which I do. I have a lot of thoughts right before I do a lot of things I especially with my younger brother being around these past couple of years of having a younger brother it's just like everything I do is I do for him I'm always looking out for what's in his best interest I'm always looking out for if he's safe or not if I don't feel like he's safe he will have issues I was never forced to take care of him when he was born. That's one of the biggest lies our case murderers have been telling throughout this entire case. I chose to take care of him. Even though my mom hated it, my mom absolutely hated it, because I pretty much steal her child from her. I I did a couple different times. I walked into her room, and I grabbed my brother, and I went back to my room. Like, I did steal my brother from her. I was never told I had to take care of him. I chose to. Because I want him to know that he has family, who cares and loves him. And with us being in foster care, like, that's been my number one priority. I don't know why fuck who else is around me that's supposed to take care of. He will always, and has been, my number one priority. Me and him got separated about a year ago because his foster parents couldn't handle my parenting attitude because there were things that I would get onto them for But I'm like, yeah, no, he's not eating that. I'm sorry. That's not for him to eat. And they're like, well, you're not the parent here. I'm like, well, neither are you. So that kind of sucks. So we ended up splitting waves after I found out I lost one of my favorite aunties. Um I kind of I kind of lost it for a while. Not in like a negative way, but a negative way for myself. I got really depressed and really anxious and I was working through it with my therapist. I love my my therapist now. Um she's on maternity leave right now, but I love her. She's amazing. Um, but, at the time I was working out, with, I was working it out with my therapist, and after this happened me and my therapist came to the conclusion that if my caseworker wasn't going to move me, I needed to get myself kicked out, or to move myself. And I came up with the getting myself kicked out, because moving myself was probably going to end worse for me, so I ended up just getting myself kicked out of that house. My brother is still with them. I hate them. Bottom of my heart, hate them. Um, you'll probably hear hear them um, on here at some point. Uh, I want to ask them a few questions, but yeah, no, they're just they're really great with their kids. Their parenting styles are very questionable. Um, everything about them is questionable, but I have my own opinions, people say they're wonderful people, other people say they don't like them very much, I say I hate them, and everyone has their own opinions, so I'm only one side of it, um, but, yeah, so, with being this foster system now, I have been in four homes. Maybe five. Five. I've been on I've been in five homes. And the home I'm in right now is actually really positive. I love it here. It's so amazing. Um it's definitely I would say an interesting Style. I'm not their first foster kid, which is also definitely helpful because when I'm usually someone's first foster kid, they're like super, I don't know, they don't necessarily know how to take care of somebody, so they like bounce around and are trying to figure things out. and don't know what they're going to do, and all this different type of stuff, but with the people who do have, who have had foster kids in the past, like, they're kind of like, they know what their parenting style is. Like, they know how they want to be there for first kids, and how they want to interact with them, and how they run things. Which, it's really easy when you become a foster parent with the idea of I don't know what I'm going to get. Like, you just got to be prepared for all of it because there are kids out there who go through God, they've seen everything. Like, there are kids out there who some of them have witnessed death firsthand. There are some of them who are in denial of what's going on and hate everybody. And then there's just kids like me who were confused why it's going on but we know to be respectful and just to figure out where it's going to take next. so there's definitely different styles of it and all my other foster parents have been new foster parents it's been their first I was their first foster kid and some of them honestly I love and I moved out of their house because I thought I needed to be away from them so I could maintain the relationship I have with them and in all reality I was right with that I have an amazing relationship with one of my foster parents and I love them they're amazing I talk to them all the time. I'm not a Christian. I don't necessarily like I I don't necessarily am religious. I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. And so I go to church with them sometimes on Sundays just to hang out with them and you know, feel kind of part of their family for like a day, or a few hours. Um and it's definitely a nice relaxer when I come home. I'm having to put the Good Girl Christian Act on and so it's definitely a part of who I am Um, and so yeah with my caseworker being the way my caseworker is like it's definitely kind of challenging because my caseworker just doesn't listen either um. So Yep It's definitely a bigger challenge Um That's just kind of The way things are But This is also just Very Snippets of my story We'll get into more, like, detailed things farther into the podcast. Um, and so I'm excited for this podcast to continue. I'm excited to actually be able to fully put my story together throughout this whole thing and I'm excited to be able to interview others about this Um, so let me know how this episode goes Um, I'm super happy have the first episode wrapped up Um, and yeah I hope to be able to bring more organized episodes here in the future Um, but here's the first episode and just kind of a snippet of my life so, welcome to my life stanza. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode, and I hope you have a good night, day, morning, or afternoon when really miss you This is Alex. I you.